So uh, back in September when Grant uh, began uh, his final year of high school, we thought it'd be fun to come up with what we called a, a senior year adventure list, which really was just an excuse for us to come up with some things that he and I enjoyed doing together as a father and a son and uh, go have some adventure doing those things. And probably one of our favorites was back in January when we drove up to southern Kansas to go on a guided pheasant hunt. And what made it really fun is it was just Grant and I, our guide, and his two dogs. Now, I have to admit, I enjoyed the hunt, but my favorite thing of all was watching those dogs work. I mean, it was a thing of beauty. Seeing them do what I believe God created them to do, just instinctively, beautifully done. As soon as they got out of the trailer, I mean, they were ready to go. All they were waiting on was the signal from the guide. And as soon as he gave it, man, they were off. Nose to the ground, always working in synchrony with one another, always looking back at us to make sure that we were close by as they kind of worked the field. And man, when they picked up a scent, I mean, those dogs froze as stiff as a statue. Boom. And all we had to do is walk up right behind them to see that bird take flight. And then if we were lucky enough to actually hit the bird, <laughs> they would bring it right back to us, and then they were ready to go again. I mean, by the end of the day, their tongues were dragging, and they loved every minute of it. They were flourishing in the purpose they were made to fulfill. I, I tell you that because I believe as we look at our passage this morning that, that Peter has the same desire for us. He wants us to flourish in the purpose we were made to fulfill, to, to understand and, and live out of who God created us to be, but not just individually. He wants us to understand it as it relates to who we are as a people, a chosen race Peter tells us, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession, set apart to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, which is exactly what we just sang about this morning. That's who we are. And when we understand who we are as God's people, then we can live out of what he created us to do as God's people. So before we look at that together, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we open up your word, would you open up our hearts, open up our minds, clear all the distractions, the sin that so easily entangles us, and help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the author and inspiration of this word. May you be living and active in our hearts and minds to draw us closer to you and help us to more faithfully fulfill and flourish in everything that you've created us to be. We pray this in your name. Amen. Right, if you would turn to Second Peter, or excuse me, First Peter chapter 2, uh, begin reading with me in verse 4, where we left off last, where Peter continues. In his letter, and he says in verse 4, And coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, 
as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, as we begin these first couple of verses, I want you to notice a little nuance of transition that takes place again in our passage this morning. We've seen this several times through Paul's letter because as he began, he starts by describing our relationship with God that takes place through our faith in Jesus Christ. Tells us how we were born again and rescued from our futile way of life, given an imperishable inheritance so that we can have a a living hope in our daily lives. And then last week we saw how he There was a transition where he turned his attention from our individual walks with Christ to now how we relate to one another, telling us to put aside both attitudes and opinions that bring division and to protect the unity of the Spirit in a bond of peace. He talks about how we are to to love one another fervently, even giving preference to one another from a pure heart. But now what we're going to see take place is Peter's going to transition from these individual applications of not just how we relate to God, how we relate to each other, and now he's going to talk about our corporate responsibility, this complete resolve of who we are as God's people, a new covenant community in Christ. Because don't miss this, God's efforts to impact the world are not fulfilled through individual people. They are fulfilled through the community of Jesus Christ. Who we are corporately as a people impacts what we do individually. And so Peter makes the point by employing this imagery of a building. As we individually come to Jesus as to a living stone, he says, which tells us this is not a normal building. We're not talking about bricks and mortar and sheetrock and acoustic ceilings, all right? This is about living stones, a house that has life, one that is infused with the power of the Holy Spirit. Because in the same way that Jesus is a living stone, Peter says, and so are you. In verse 5, he says, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. He tells us that this house is filled with purpose. It's the home of a holy priesthood. Now, there's so much going on in Peter's imagery here. And so I want us to think back to the time of the tabernacle and the temple, because this is where he's drawing the imagery of this building idea. These buildings, the the tabernacle and and the temple, were central to the life of Israel and to their worship of God. They were seen as kind of an intersection of where the holy realm comes in contact with an earthly reality. It's where the very presence of God dwells among the people of God. And so Peter is drawing on that imagery, and he's saying the very same thing is true for us that God's people have become a temple of God's presence. We see the same thing. Paul gives the exact same message in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, where it says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, 
but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And here it is, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, if we combine them as living stones, growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So please don't miss the importance of what both Peter and Paul are saying here. The church is a holy sanctuary filled with God's presence through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is not a social club. It's not even a place where we gather to simply learn like a, like a classroom. This is the house of God where the Spirit of God dwells among the people of God. And I know there's, there's nothing special about this particular building, but we're not talking about bricks and mortar, remember? We're talking about living stones. It's about God's sacred presence in the midst of a holy priesthood. It's about a people who are set apart for a divine purpose. Because until we understand the importance of Christian community, we cannot flourish in the purpose we were made to fulfill. Look at how it continues in verse 6. For this is contained in Scripture, where it says, Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because of their they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. These verses help us see that, that Peter is not just using the ability, a building as an illustration to make his point. He's actually pointing to the fulfillment of actual prophecy. Because almost a thousand years before Jesus, God spoke through the prophet Isaiah, and he said... In Zion, I lay a choice and precious cornerstone. And if you believe in him, so now we've gone from uh, an inanimate object like a stone to something that's living and breathing. If you believe in him, a person, you will not be disappointed. And so the plan to, to build this spiritual house has always been a part of God's redemptive story. A holy people made possible because of a promised Messiah. Jesus is the living stone who became the cornerstone of God's redemptive work. And when we build our lives on him, we will not be put to shame. We will not be disappointed, which is really important if we go back to the context of who Peter is writing to. Remember, this is a, a persecuted people. These are a people who have been rejected because... They saw them as, as a people that were a part of a community that was actually a social deviant to endanger the common good. In other words, they were disrupting the progress of society by upholding lives in line with biblical truths. 
But if we stop and think about that, Jesus received the very same criticism as well, didn't he? I mean, he was rejected because people felt like he was doing more harm than good to the social and religious norm. And it is interesting that Jesus, in light of that rejection, in the same way that Peter is writing to a rejected people, quotes the very same uh, message from Isaiah. He says in Mark chapter 12, verse 10, Have you not read the Scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. See, what we need to understand here is that there have been building projects, if you will, going on since the beginning of humanity. That's why when it says in our passage, this is the stone which the builders rejected. Builders, people who are building something. But what Peter's trying to help us see is what we are being led to to understand is this is not something that we are building for God. This is something that God has built for us. This is what he's created, not what we've created. And ultimately, there are only two houses that we can live in. We can either live in a house that's built on the foundation of faith in Jesus Christ, or we can live in a house that's intended to provide security in some other way. Those are the only two options, which is exactly why Jesus told the parable of the two houses, and take note, there are only two. He says in Matthew chapter 7, Verse 24, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Those same rains fell and floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell. And great was its fall. You see, both Peter and Jesus are making the very same point. In fact, I think it's interesting that Peter not only quotes this passage from Isaiah here, he actually quotes the very same passage in one of his very first sermons in the book of Acts. Chapter 4, verse 11, Peter proclaimed, Jesus is the storm, or the stone which you rejected. You are the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given unto men by which we must be saved. See, the only way to escape eternal destruction is to build your life on the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He alone was appointed by God to bring salvation to the world. And by rejecting his redemption, your disbelief destines you to doom. It's eternal separation from a life-giving relationship with God. And please understand this. God did not destine anyone to be born for eternal destruction. 
It's not God's intent for, for anyone to go to hell. In fact, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 makes it clear, does it not, when it says the Lord is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Because the price Jesus paid was sufficient for everyone who believes. The place of eternal separation is reserved only for those who willfully reject God's mercy and grace freely given to all. But remember, Peter's writing to believers, isn't he? He's writing to people who have been, in fact, rescued by God's mercy and grace. He's reminding them of the divinely appointed role as a holy priesthood. He wants them to flourish in the purpose they were made to fulfill, to be a holy priesthood equipped with a life-saving message for the world. Look at how he describes that beginning in verse 9. He says, but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This past week in Regen. Brian Todd did a great job, and one of the things he said was that, that our identity always precedes our actions. In other words, who we are defines what we do. It's not the opposite. What we do does not define who we are. Who we are defines what we do, which is why Peter's making this identity statement here in verse 9. Because who we are as a Christian community determines what we do as a Christian community. He begins by talking about how we are a chosen race, which is important because, remember, he's writing to a people of multiple ethnicities. Peter's audience included people literally from all over the world. These are exiles from other countries, scattered as strangers and aliens throughout Asia Minor. But he says to them, you are a chosen race because every single one of you has descended from a common lineage. Isn't that what race is? It's determining who you are based on the lineage that you came from. And he's saying you are born again by the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ, that you are adopted in God's family and you are blood-brought brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And as Christians, our identity is determined by our lineage through faith in Christ alone. It's not determined by the color of our skin. In fact, Paul makes that very clear in Colossians chapter 3. He says, there's no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, freeman, you can go on and fill in any blank you want to. He says, if you are in Christ, Christ is in all and Christ is all. We have a new identity when we are born into the family of God. And who we are will define what we do. We're a chosen race. 
from a common lineage of faith in Christ. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession. And, and Peter is taking these words straight from Exodus chapter 19. All of these have such Old Testament richness to them. In fact, in Exodus 19 chapter 5, this is what God says. Now then, speaking to the people of Israel, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And so I want you to notice the correlation here because these words are spoken by God to a people who have just been rescued from slavery to Egypt. And in the very same way, Peter is now speaking these words to a people like us who have been rescued from the slavery to sin's control. They were called to be representatives of the king of all the earth, as are we. We are ambassadors for Christ. We are ministers of reconciliation. We represent God in the world. And, and that connection is so close. Don't miss this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 goes so far as to say, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you, on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. This is a powerful truth. And we need to understand that there is a distinction here between what was taking place in the nation of Israel and what now applies to us. Because they were called to represent God's character in the world around them, as are we. But there's more. Because in Israel, God's presence only resided in the tabernacle or the temple in a building of brick and mortar. What Peter is now saying is that God's presence now resides in us. That's no small difference. Which means it doesn't only transform our lives, it builds a whole new society. That's why he says we're a holy nation of God's own possession, which means it redefines our priorities, it realigns our allegiances. We now live in accordance with this upside-down kingdom of heaven, where the first will be last, and the last will be first, and the greatest will be servant of all. You tell me where in this world that exists except for the church. We are called to live in a way that puts the gospel on display, proclaiming the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, knowing that so much of our mission is fulfilled through our fellowship as a people. God's purposes are always fulfilled through a people. That's why he says in verse 10, for we were not once not a people, but now you are a people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy from God. And this actually happens to be another Old Testament quotation that, that Peter is drawing from. This is a quotation from the prophet Hosea, who was called to condemn Israel for their Spiritual adultery, because instead of faithfully 
following God. They became united to the pagan worship of the world around them. They betrayed their identity as God's people by accepting the social norm of their day. But within that condemnation from the prophet Hosea for the compromise of God's people was a promise of restoration. When those who were far off would be brought near. And Peter's saying, that's what's happening in the church, is God is gathering a people who are called by his name. A chosen race, a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession. But until we understand who we are as a Christian community, we cannot flourish in the purpose we were made to fulfill. Which I think is an incredibly important and timely message for us who live in such an individualistic society. In fact, I see our passage this morning is a call to reclaim the priority of Christian community. Instead of being an option we consider, it should be a priority that we protect. Knowing that the church is God's primary means of proclaiming the message of redemption to the world. And so until we live out of our identity as a spirit-filled people of God, we will not have a meaningful impact in the world around us. True spiritual revival always begins in the house of the Lord. But I understand, look, this is a, this is a very difficult concept for us to grasp in our own comfortable lives. I mean, we've got so many options of things that we can choose to do and where we can spend our time. And let's be honest, Christian community is very, very often an interruption to some really good things. It's hard to make time for fellowship in the midst of a busy work schedule, sporting events, family vacations, and the ever-so-popular need to have some time for myself. But remember, Peter's writing to a people who are being persecuted. Community wasn't an interruption to some really good things. Their faithful commitment could cost them their life. They understood the value that is so easy for you and I to forget. Until it becomes a priority for us, we will not flourish in the purpose we were made to fulfill. I want you to think of it like a marriage in the sense that I can tell you today with utmost conviction that who I am today, I am a better man because of her. My relationship with her has allowed me to become more of who God has created to me to be than anything else that I've encountered in my lifetime. And I believe in the very same way, we cannot be everything God has created us to be outside of the context of the sanctifying work of God's people in community. It's easy for us to forget in the world in which we live today, where we're often entangled with our individual pursuits, but Peter's reminding us 
We have been called to be a people of God, and God makes an impact in the world through the fellowship of God's community, his people set apart as a holy priesthood. Amen? Let's pray together. I know sometimes, Lord, I feel like some messages are harder for us to get our heads around because of the pervasive influence of the world in which we live. And this idea of priority, community, deep fellowship, lives together as a holy nation of a a royal priesthood, I I don't know, it seems like it may be hard for us to really grasp the magnitude of what you're calling us to. But I just ask, Lord, that in some small way, as we consider the truth of your word this morning, that it would stir in our hearts our desire to sacrifice for the sake of other people around us, to embrace the outcasts, to love the unlovely, to be the people that you've called us to be, set apart as a holy priesthood, mediating your presence of light in a dark and broken world because this is where you can find healing. This is where you can find hope because we have all been born again by the power of the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ and that changes everything. So Lord, help us to live out of that identity as a people so that we can fulfill our purpose as individuals as you send us out to make an impact in the world around us. May that penetrate deeply in our heart. And we pray this in your name. Amen. So last night, uh, or yesterday afternoon, my family and I went to see uh, the movie Jesus Revolution. And you may not agree with everything you see in the movie. This is what I know is true. Any spiritual impact that takes place in the world always begins inside the church. That's what happened at that time. There was revival that took place in the church before it ever made a meaningful impact in the world around them. And I don't believe it's any different today than it was back then. And so I would just ask that we would consider as a people the priority of who God has called us to be as a blood-bought community in Christ. That we live that faithfully in here and then let's just see what God through the work of His Spirit does in the world around us. Can we do that? Let me pray. Father, we have made our heart's desire known to you. You have made your heart's desire known to us. And so, Lord, I just ask that by the power of your Spirit, according to the truth of your Word, that we may more faithfully live out of who we are as your royal priesthood, holy nation, a people who belong to you. May that change the way that we not just live lives individually, but how we live corporately and how we relate to one another. May this be a safe place where broken people find healing. 
where the downtrodden find hope, where those who are lost in darkness see light. So Lord, would you just work in and through the lives of your people to carry out your beautifully wonderful purposes in the world around us. Lord, we trust you and we offer our lives to you as a royal priesthood. We offer our lives as a living sacrifice to you. Have your way, O Lord. Your will be done and not our own. We pray this in your name.